They say it just means more down in the Southeastern Conference, and that is going to be put to the test once again this season as the SEC enters 2023 as the predominant conference in college football, uh, but maybe for not that much longer with all the news around the Pac-12, the Big Ten expanding, the Big 12 coming on strong, the SEC gets to defend their title this year and try and bring all this momentum into a new era of college football. And as we set the stage with that, we welcome you into the three technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason joined uh, by Trey Reeves and Trey first and foremost, uh, we're thinking and praying about our, our buddy Garrett who broke his wrist um, in a workout accident, so Garrett is is on the shelf at least for the uh, at least for the interim. He's on the ten day IL right yeah, now. Yeah, ten or fifteen day IL. He's yeah, he'll be he, back soon. Exactly. He may be you know transferred at some point. Maybe he gets another stint on the ten day. Probably um, got to put him on a rehab assignment. Maybe send him down to the down to the farm on a little uh, preview podcast for the G five or something. I think like so. I think so. We'll let him. We'll let him get a couple at bats. Uh, you know, at the double A level and uh, and ease him back in. But uh, anyway, Garrett, if you're listening to this, we're we're thinking about you. We're praying about you, um, Trey. You know, the SEC. Gosh, they've won like all the titles, right? Uh, going back the since the the BCS era came around. Specifically, Georgia has won the last two. The Georgia Bulldogs trying to three-peat are, are certainly one of the overarching stories, but they're not the over or they're not the only story in the Southeastern Conference. We'll talk about Georgia in just a minute here as we kind of break down how we're going to uh, preview the SEC. But what specifically are you focused on here in 2023 when you watch the SEC? What what gets you excited? I think it's the depth of the conference. And I think when we break down the SEC every year, I think that's what usually gets me excited is, you know, some of these other leagues we talk about, there's one, maybe two, maybe three true championship contenders, teams that you think could have a reasonable shot, not just at winning the conference, but actually winning the college football playoff. I think other leagues are maxed out at two, maybe three. Um, when you think about just maybe the big 10 has three this year, but the SEC, that bench is maybe four or five deep if everything clicks for certain teams. I mean, the talent is there in so many of these schools. The jokes write themselves about the it just means more campaign, but that campaign is memorable because it's yeah. so true, right? If, if you step on campus in the South on a Saturday, it, it does just mean more, right? And it means more to each and every one of those 14, soon to be 16 fan bases, and it's really exciting. It is a true any given Saturday situation with the talent that runs through this conference. It's really hard to predict the SEC. I mean, we've been saying that about a lot of conferences, and obviously no one's going to pitch a perfect game in predictions. But 
with the SEC, you know, Trey, we were joking before we hit record. You were trying to get every SEC team uh, bowl eligible. I was and I got. I didn't mathematically eliminate myself until week 12. So I, I just want to throw that out there. Like it's, it's a legit possibility. Yeah. Um, the, the quality of this conference I think is, is deeper than most to say the least. Um, and, and we're going to get into that. We're going to break these, these teams down by championship contenders. We'll have team of the year candidates, essentially teams that could jump up and really contend for a conference title, or they could also go seven and five. There, there may not be an in between, or and worse if you look at their uh, resumes from last year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there's always next year. I think we're going to ruffle some feathers with this category, right? Both from the East and from the West. But you know, I talked about this on the transfer portal CFV um, preview for this conference. I mean, there's always a team. You say legitimately they could win eight, nine games. They could win four games. Like there is a very, very thin line between success and failure in this conference, especially on the West side, I feel like. And and so we'll get to all of that. Uh, Before we do, though, if you're an SEC fan or maybe you're just a a college football fan tuning in to the three tech, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you can get your podcasts. We're also on social media, Twitter, Instagram, threads, at 3TechPod, uh, if you'd like to find us there. But maybe you like really comfy t-shirts. You like retro designs. Trey, I'm wearing my Take Me to Happy Valley shirt right now. K-State, baby. You're wearing your K-State design. Our friends over at Homefield are cranking out some of the best uh, vintage design t-shirts for the college sports fan that we've ever seen. Um, they have new releases every single week. They're bringing in more schools every single week, as well as doing new drops for existing schools. They just did a UTEP drop that was simply stunning. Um, So if you're a college football fan, you just like collecting memorabilia, you love great-looking T-shirts, Homefield is uh, is the brand for you. And the best part, if you're a first-time buyer, you can use 3TechPod for 15% off at checkout. Again, 3TechPod, that's all caps, lowercase, whatever you want to put in, gets you 15% off your order course uh one of our biggest research tools for all the the podcasts during this preview season is the transfer portal cfb preview magazine we are close to a thousand purchases insane since july 5th, <laughs> absolutely which, insane which is wild this is a complete grassroots effort we have no you know no big market affiliation and yet college football fans across the country and and now you know big big label uh reporters and producers espn at fox they're recognizing the work that we did on this preview magazine. You can head over to the Transfer Portal CFB website or their social media. Get yours for $9.99. It is an unreal value. We've been talking about it for two months now. Um, time running out, of course, to, to get that before the seasons. Um, the season's here, but well worth the purchase. Trey, uh, I think we got the bills paid, so let's dive in, shall we? we we've got to start at the top. we got to start with the back-to-back reigning national champions in the East, Georgia Bulldogs, big question as I let off this show with, can Georgia three-peat this season? Uh, and, you know, you look at the schedule, it's it's a very, very comfy schedule. There is, you don't have to squint to find the possibility of a loss, but I will say I feel very comfortable saying Georgia at the very least goes 11-1 and one and is the favorite to win the SEC title. Now, once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. But as far as representing the SEC in Atlanta, 
They are the runaway favorites. They went 15 and 0 last year. They, of course, curb stomped TCU. And, and Trey, you look at this 2023 schedule. I mean, where where are the challenges on this schedule? We'll break down the team in just a minute. But I'm having a really a really tough time finding one until maybe at Tennessee in Week 11. Yeah, the true challenges are definitely backloaded. I think Kentucky could be plucky. Auburn's a road uh, road rivalry game that can always be tricky. Hugh Freeze, we'll break down the Tigers here a little bit later, but um, definitely could be an interesting team this year. But look, Georgia lost their marquee non-conference game. They were supposed to play Oklahoma, but the SEC stepped in and said, hey, you know, you're probably going to play them next year. They didn't want to deal with the home-and-home mess that that was. So when you trade out Oklahoma, I'm not sure who wasn't on the schedule, but I'm either UAB or Ball State. Um, that's that's a slight downgrade in competition in the non-conference schedule. So, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the big challenges are going to be later in the season. That Ole Miss game on November 11th, especially with it being right before Tennessee, could be tricky. Sure. But the big one that everyone has circles is absolutely that November 18th game at Tennessee. It's a week in the conference that a lot of other schools are playing – the little sisters of the poor and other uh, small, small time teams in their uh, respective States. And so that's where all eyes, not just on the conference, but probably the entire country are going to be on Knoxville on November 18th. Yeah, you love when directional tech state comes to town uh, that, that third week in November. Um, yeah. I think, I think the schedule is as comfy as Georgia could have, could have drawn it up. Oklahoma aside, you know, it's interesting because Georgia is replacing a lot of production on both sides of the ball. I mean, heck, that's what happens when you win back-to-back national championships is you have your guys, right? Yep. (laughs) Yeah, even even Stetson Bennett, the mailman, gets gets picked up, I think, in the fifth round uh, by the Rams. So now you hand the mantle to likely Carson Beck. Uh, Reports are that he's looked pretty strong uh, in, in spring ball, and now fall camp has just started as well. The offensive line is really loaded. This is one of the positions that Georgia has just outworked like everybody in the country because, and if you listen to our, our episode with Luke Winstell a couple of weeks ago, Georgia over the past several years, it's not like they've just been loading up with five stars on the offensive line or the defensive line for that matter. They've been able to go in and identify, you know, lower level four stars, according to the recruiting rankings, three stars even, and turn them into all-conference players and, and future draft picks. Now, that's not the tack that they're taking this year. They are loading up in the trenches. I believe they have six offensive line commits already for 2024, all four or five stars. None of that affects the 2023 team, but it does reflect an overarching success that Georgia has building in the trenches and you know, Stetson Bennett was very well protected. The running game had had a lot of room to operate last year. My big question on the offense is, is what do you get out of the wide receiver position, right? Like, Lad McConkey is an unsung hero from last season, but now you lose Darnell Washington. You don't have your freak at, at, at uh, second tight end. You've got Brock Bowers, of course. But outside of Bowers and Lad McConkey, like, who are the guys that are, that are going to step up with a new quarterback in the saddle this year, I do wonder what kind of effect we we see with the Georgia Bulldogs. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think the passing game is still going to be absolutely lethal because it's going to go through Brock Bowers, right? I, I, I don't think, you know, 
no disrespect to the Georgia receiving core last year. They definitely have some dudes. They always are going to run out a lot of talented receivers, but that offense just goes through a guy that let's face it could be a dark horse Heisman contender in Brock Bowers this year. I think if it's truly going to the player, the, the best player that's making his team that much better, it could be Brock Bowers by the end of the year. I don't know what his odds are. I don't know what it would look like to lay a bet down at that on him at this point, but Brock Bowers is the heart and soul of this offense. He's going to get a ton of attention. He's going to get a ton of targets. Rara Thomas and Dominique Lovett uh, transferring in, you know, as new probable starters in the receiver core is exciting. They're going to, they're going to have talent. Like that, that's just what Georgia does. It's not going to be, they're, they're not going to probably have the one guy that dominates in the statistical category. But when you look at how it played out last year, they definitely were doing something right. Right. Like, I mean, they're, they're statistically like, you don't think of Georgia as this offensive juggernaut, but they're top five total offense they're even passing offense top uh top 10 so look it, they're doing something right over there and it's not just three yards in a cloud of dust like we typically think georgia is i think defensively as well as we switch sides of the ball it's incredible to note that since the 2021 title game 10 of those 11 starters have been drafted to the nfl so as i mentioned like turnover on the defense is just kind of a way of life for the Bulldogs right now, you lose guys like Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo, uh, Robert Beal Jr., Chris Smith II. But the guys that are coming up right behind them, you feel like are, are very healthy, talented players. It's hard to imagine that this Georgia defense takes much of a step back when they've got guys like Javon Bullard, uh, MVP of, of both playoff games, returning to his star position, right? I mean... Malachi Starks is is uh, going to be a safety, an All-American from last year. Ty, Tyke Smith, I believe is his name, will play the other safety spot. And then they've just found a way to get to the passer. I feel like this Bulldogs defense is going to bark again for a third straight season. The front seven is going to be scary, absolutely. They're going to rotate through just grown men on the defensive line. They're going to be blitz. Uh, you know, we like to think of Georgia as this big, you know, blitzing team. They weren't really nationally ranked very highly in their tackles for loss or their sacks last year. They did pressure the quarterback really well. Um, not always translating one to one to sacks, but my only concern is the secondary. I think, you know, you saw that in the college football playoff. You saw it a little bit, even in the sec championship game when LSU started throwing it around a lot. And, you know, LSU was down by a million points in the first half. So they had to throw the ball a lot, but there were holes that we could see exploited by certain quarterbacks last year. And yes, I'm talking about CJ Stroud and uh, the one, two punch at LSU in that sec championship game of very talented quarterbacks, but the, the exploitation is possibly there. Right. So when you talk about like going up against a Joe Milton, when you talk about going up against whoever Ole Miss is going to throw out there, some of the other talented quarterbacks that they might face, uh, I think about a, you know, a, a Devin Leary at Kentucky, there could be exploitation in that secondary. What are your thoughts on, you know, maybe some cause for concern back there? I do wonder if, listen, you, as you mentioned, like you could throw the ball a little bit on Georgia times last year, situationally. Yeah. Mostly it was because you were down by a million points. Right. And they were playing, they were playing uh, not as hard defense in the back end. I do wonder if, 
if they can continue passing the torch the way that that front seven has. Now, it's interesting to note a lot of the pass rush actually came from guys like Keely Ringo blitzing from the secondary last year. Keely was famous for coming flying out of the secondary up the backside to apply a lot of quarterback pressure, create havoc, right? So Georgia doesn't necessarily just blitz with their front seven, but oh my goodness, they're hard to move off the line of scrimmage, right? The edge rushers do a great job anchoring, directing runners back inside, keeping the quarterback contained. And then, you know, they've had guys like Jalen Carter that could just blow up the middle of the line. They may not get you on the ground as a quarterback, but they're going to ruin your play. And so I do wonder how how many times that Georgia defense passes the torch before we see kind of a, an Alabama-like regression, right? Before all of a sudden we start wondering, okay, well, maybe this crop of guys wasn't quite ready to play at that elite caliber. But like I said, they've got some tricky, a couple of tricky games on the schedule. We'll see what happens with Auburn and Peyton Thorne, what Devin Leary does at Kentucky, and then obviously Joe Milton at the end of the season. But I still find it really tough to bet against the Georgia Bulldogs right now. I think for... A couple of reasons that I'll talk about when we get to Tennessee, maybe maybe right now, maybe we can transition there in just a second. But I just feel like Georgia is Georgia's Georgia's the 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 S and P five hundred, right? Like you know <laughs> at this point what you should get. Maybe there's a down quarter here and there. Maybe you get eight percent year over year instead of a ten percent return, but you're you're still in the green betting on them. Yeah, and listen, last year they weren't perfect every quarter they didn't go out and blow every single team in the sec out they had a quite a scare in columbia missouri they weren't their best selves when they played kentucky last year there were times that they were relying on their talent just to carry them through to the end of the game and you know eventually come out with the win but they didn't go 15 and 0 by accident there's a reason that if you want to bet the over under you have to bet if they're going undefeated or not it's because they're the most talented team in the country when you look at recruiting rankings and what they've actually done on the field. And their schedule lines up for a fantastic run. Now, they would be the first team. This has been beaten to death, but they would be the first team since Minnesota way back in the 1940s, I believe, maybe even earlier than that, to actually three-peat if they were able to accomplish it this year. It would be quite the feat to do it. No one's done it in a really, really long time in college football. I can't wait to have that discussion, like a true tangible discussion when we get to our playoff picks right before the season kicks off. I don't know about you. I, I don't have my playoff predictions totally I solidified. I don't either. I, I, I have maybe one or two solidified, but those other two, I'm, I'm wide open right now. I agree. I agree. So we'll talk about the Bulldogs uh, and their you know playoff aspirations more as we get down the line, but I do think you know we would both pick Georgia – to come out of the East, it certainly seems like their main competitor will be the Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee coming off of a, a tremendous year one under Josh Heupel, 11-2 season, an Orange Bowl victory. Of course, those two losses really stand out on that schedule. The Georgia loss, listen, you were between the hedges. Uh, you weren't expected to win that game. It was Ran close. into a buzzsaw. Yeah, you, it was close for a little bit, but you just couldn't move the ball. The real surprising loss was getting obliterated by South Carolina on the road. Now, Hendon Hooker goes down in that game, tears his ACL, ends his season. But that game was out of hand before 
Hinden even went went out. I, I don't know that if Hooker stays healthy, you win that game. Still, year one under Josh Heupel is a tremendous, tremendous season. But now you've got to deal with a lot of change, right? A lot of that offense that was so fun to watch has has moved on. Um, you got a new quarterback in Joe Milton, who listen, I allegedly can sling the ball ninety yards, but hasn't exactly ever translated that into consistent winning on a championship level. And so I think as we start this Tennessee preview, what's your temperature on Joe Milton? Like, Is this volunteers team only going to go as far as he can take them? Or do you feel like maybe he can orchestrate a more complete offense that can still reach Atlanta? I think the offense as it's built right now is still built on a quarterback balling out and making plays like it was last year. I think you're going to have to see a similar run to what Hinden hooker was able to do last year. And that's not really answering your question on my temperature on Joe Milton, but I think the way the offense is built at Tennessee, it's centered around a talented quarterback making plays and making the right decisions. Right. And for me, I'm team Joe Milton. I am really high on Joe Milton this year. I've heard a lot of people in the national sphere kind of tempering expectations for him this year. Yes. He can throw the ball a mile. Yes. He's had some trouble, you know, in the past, with accuracy and he's had some trouble with consistency. I I don't know, man. I think that he, his skill set fits really, really well in Josh Heupel's offense. And I think that he, he might put up a better season than Hendon Hooker did last year. I like statistically wise, I don't know if he'll lead him to as many wins as Hendon Hooker did last year, but stats wise, he might break some records this year. Uh, Tell you what, you're singing a tune that uh, Vols fans would love to hear. I think, boy, the, the Vol Navy. Just don't be, ask me to sing Rocky Top because I we don't want to hear that. Well, I was going to say they might be they <laughs> might be tuning up the banjos right now based on what you're saying. Um, the offense should be a lot of fun. It's just not going to be. I think there might be a couple of growing pains. Look, because re- replacing Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman is not just something you do on an everyday basis. Right now, the running game should be really strong. They've got Jabari Small and Jalen Wright coming back. Um, that's exciting. Their their running back by committee should ride again. But Brew McCoy thrived as a third option last yes. year, right? Or a second option in in some sets. Now he's got to be the guy. And coming out of high school, he was projected to be the guy, right? Went to Texas and then went to USC and then back to Texas and USC again. Like he he couldn't figure out where he was going to go be the playmaker. Well, now he's officially the guy officially wide receiver one for the Tennessee volunteers, uh, Ramel Keaton, squirrel white. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'm excited about squirrel white, man. That, that that's a name to file away. If you're not familiar with him, just file that one away. Yeah. Easy to remember. <laughs> well, and, and then I haven't even mentioned Dante Thornton who just transferred over from, from Oregon. Right. So the names are in the wide receiver room for Tennessee. You just said, though, you think Joe Milton could put up record-setting numbers. Tell me why. Because when I look at it, I'm concerned, one, he hasn't done it at a championship level, like I said, winning. And two, low completion percentage really scares me. It's why I'm not on the Quinn Ewers for Heisman bandwagon. Well, low completion percentage is absolutely a legit concern. I think when you look at what he's been able to do more recently in Josh Heupel's offense, like last year – Last year eased a lot of those concerns for me. He 
completed 65% of his passes last year in a backup role. I know it was a backup role. I know he was facing a lot of, you know, second team defenses a lot of times, but, you know, towards the end of the year, um, even in the, especially you look at that Clemson game and he was totally fine against a very talented defense. You look at the defenses that he's going to face out of the gate. I'm not scared of Virginia, not scared of Austin P. I'm not really scared of what Florida is going to put on the field defensively. UTSA and South Carolina will be interesting. AM has a really underrated passing defense. We'll talk about later a little bit later on. Then that back half of the schedule saved Georgia. There's a lot of opportunities for them to put up a lot of points again this year. And I just think he's in good hands. And maybe, you know, the t- term system quarterback gets thrown around a lot. I don't know that I would call Joe Milton a system quarterback for Josh Heupel's system, but it's going to put him in a position to succeed. And I think that, you know, we've seen him develop. Over the years, we've seen him grow in his ability to complete passes at a higher clip, and he flashed it last year. He really did flash an increased awareness and increased ability to have a higher completion percentage last year. So that's where my optimism is coming from. Now, we definitely could see the Michigan version or the early Tennessee version of him rear its ugly head. Absolutely. We could see that very early on um, in the schedule as well, but I think we'll know that relatively soon. Leave this screen up because I, I want to talk about the over-under here is nine and a half, according to my bookie. We've we've been talking about how fun the offense for Tennessee is going to be. The schedule has some tricky games for sure. Um, it's not a cakewalk through this schedule, but I think Tennessee is going to be favored in the vast majority of these games that they play. The defense was what held them back last year, and we can – kind of conclude the Vols preview with with this, they've got a lot of guys back. And so for me, I'm wondering two things. One, will the detraction of a guy like Byron Young on the defensive line, will that be detrimental to what Tennessee does stopping the run, getting to the quarterback? And two, they only replace one guy in the secondary, plus they bring in some fun recruits like Jordan Matthews in the secondary, Their pass defense was what killed them last year. Is it logical to assume, okay, well, they've got to be better than 127th last year. Thus, you see Tennessee maybe taking a step forward, getting to 10 wins again, maybe even threatening for the SEC East crown. Or is it history is kind of the best teacher and we should expect more of the same? What I'm worried about with the defense is they – came up clutch time and time again. You look at the stats that are on your screen if you're watching on YouTube right now. Elite in the red zone, right? Um, They're elite um, at producing turnovers, right? The turnover margin, a lot of that was Hinton Hooker not turning the ball over, not throwing any interceptions. But a lot of that's also the defense, you know, coming up clutch in big spots, turning the ball over. Plus 11 turnover margin is hard to maintain. And the reason that they were able to win so many games in spite of their poor defense last year was they came up clutch. They made some big plays. They rushed the passer relatively well. They made a lot of plays in the backfield um, tackles for loss, and they got a ton of turnovers. So I I don't know. I'm really in wait and see mode again. We were really beating the drum to watch out for this Tennessee defense last year. You know, we were thinking that could hold them back from being a legitimate contender and it did not come to fruition last year because a lot, quite frankly, Hinton Hooker put the offense on his back and refused to 
uh, refused to be denied scoring enough points to outpace his defense giving up points last year. And so it's really going to rest on, I I, I don't see the improved. Listen, listen, returning production is great, but if that returning production is the 127th ranked pass defense, I don't really want to buy stock in that. I'm not really looking to buy the penny stock in that right now. So They've got to prove it to me on the field. They've got to show me that they are capable of stopping a big passing game. You look back at their schedule. I think that UTSA and South Carolina back to back before the bye, that's a huge opportunity to get right. Right. Because Frank Harris and Spencer Rattler are a couple of really solid college quarterbacks. I think Frank Harris is obviously the better of those two, but that's an opportunity to show and, you know, get some kinks out before a really tough stretch of AM at Bama at Kentucky with Devin Leary that can just carve your secondary up if you're not ready. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was going to bring up that stretch uh, next. I think you hit the nail on the head. We'll see what Tennessee's defense uh, allows them to do. I think I, I do think the offense is going to be fun. I think Joe Milton might turn the ball over a little bit more. But once again, for the second year straight, I'm going to say Tennessee goes as far as that defense uh, allows them to go. Let's flip it over to the West now. We've got two championship contenders, and I'm betting you at home can guess who they are. Let's start with the SEC West representative from a season ago, the LSU Tigers. Brian Kelly enters year two. If you listen to another, uh, a lot of other talk show radio or talk 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 show radio, uh, you'll hear that Brian Kelly is supposed to actually take a step forward this year. He overachieved all expectations last year. LSU was fighting for bowl eligibility in the preseason projections. And a, a lot of folks even had LSU going five and seven. They go 10 and four, six and two in conference. They have a fluky loss to Florida State out of the gate. They obviously get the doors blown off against Tennessee, but really then figured it out until the end of the season. Jaden Daniels is back. A lot of folks thought he was gone. A lot of folks thought LSU would need a new quarterback this season, but he comes back. Malik Neighbors is going to be an elite wide receiver. The offensive line returns four or five starters. Noah Kane transfers in from Penn State. I mean, Trey, this offense could be really, really good. They could be even more lethal than they were a season ago. But what's interesting to me, and if you've been following talking season, Brian Kelly just really didn't sound confident in his team at SEC media days, did he? No, he did not. That, that's just fascinating to me. And he's a coach that has been around the block for a long time, obviously been very successful at Cincinnati, at Notre Dame, and last year at LSU. Obviously, all the cultural fit, all the, you know, we ranked him as a very questionable hire for LSU with the cultural fit being very questionable, his ability to recruit at LSU. We kind of had some question marks. I think he silenced a lot of those critics with his first year, but – I'm just really reading between the lines here. And I don't know if he's trying to motivate his team. I don't know if he's trying to uh, just get the proverbial rat poison out of the room to borrow from Nick Saban, but he really did not seem confident in what, uh, not not that they're going to go five and seven and miss a bowl game, but when he was talking about at a championship level, he just did not seem confident that he was going to put it, that the team was going to be at a championship level this year for some reason. And that just really struck me as odd as after they were right on the doorstep last year. I know it did. Especially there was a lot of question marks on the defense. He, he even kind of like outright said he, he they're worried about the continuity on this defense right now. 
Listen, the defense has been banged up since spring ball. Uh, Mason Smith, Makai Wingo, guys in the secondary. A lot of dudes have missed time. And so, whereas every team deals with injuries, it feels like LSU has had a lot of guys just miss entire chunks of their offseason development. uh, development. And that absolutely is something that you have to take into consideration. I'm really high on a guy like Mason Smith coming back towards ACL and like the second drive of the season last year against uh, Florida State. They didn't have him for the entire year. You add him to a very talented defensive line. Uh, Harold Perkins should be an All-American again. Now, it was interesting because he's a middle linebacker by trade, but he he played more hybrid last year to rush the passer. Brian Kelly wants him to learn how to play linebacker. He wants him to be a collegiate linebacker. You hear him talk. I don't think he's switching to edge rusher. I don't think he's going to be a guy that just pins his ears back every time he's on the field. Do you think that's the the right decision? I don't know, man. I, I feel like he was so good. He, he just he he had that Micah Parsons burst where it didn't matter how good that offensive lineman was, like Kirk was going to get by you. So to say, hey, no, he's going to be an on-ball linebacker, I, I don't know. I, I, would, I, I felt like why, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I don't know why you'd change from that hybrid role. That's exactly where I'm at. When, when I was hearing those rumblings, you know, coming out of spring camp and in SEC media days, like, my, that was my big question is why, why, why are you wanting him to do something different than what he was so successful? Maybe you need that as a team. Maybe you need someone to step up and fill that role, but is there no one else on the roster that you can just go let, go let Perk cook on the outside, man, and just do what he did to be a freshman all American and borderline Heisman <laughs> contender last year. Well, the issue with the linebacking cores, I don't know that there's a ton of proven commodities around Perk at linebacker, so he may really have to play more traditional linebacker, and you know, then that's on Kelly and his staff to figure out how he gets in, involved in in the pass rush. I, I will say that the other question that I have about this LSU team, and we'll break down their schedule in just a moment. It's in the secondary. Major Burns playing at safety. He's missed some time. Denver Harris transfers over from Texas A and M. It's not really on field ability. It's off field issues that that were his woes at AM. He got suspended, uh, I believe, what, for the remainder of the season in week eight, so missed four or five games, something like that, uh, when he was in maroon and white. Um, yeah, I just they it, it, there's a lot of moving pieces that LSU has in the secondary. That being said, I still think they're a cut above everyone else but Alabama when it comes to stepping on the field. Now we're going to talk about kind of the team of the year candidates in the West and what you can get from a team like Texas A&M or what you can get from Ole Miss, what you can get from Auburn even, who I think we might both be higher on than, than some folks. I still think LSU has that it factor and it's really hard to bet against that when you've got so many teams that are kind of clustered together. I think so too. I think if you're reading between the lines with Brian Kelly, though, he feels like his starters can go toe to toe with anyone in the country. I think, especially with what he has on offense, I think he feels like they're going to put up a ton of points and the defense, if they can stay healthy, will do a good enough job to play complimentary football with that offense. It might not be an elite unit. It might not be, you know, top 10 in the country and statistics, but they're going to get the job done. 
I think what he's worried about is that depth behind the first unit on both sides of the ball. I think, you know, what happens if a Malik neighbors goes down, right? What happens if a Harold Perkins goes down? What happens if a major Burns goes down with injury or, you know, Mason Smith again, we saw last year that that consistency just wasn't quite there yet. That depth wasn't quite there yet. And that's what held them back from being a true championship contender last year. That's what held them back. You know, obviously you're not planning for your all American edge rusher, your, you know, preseason all American uh, defensive lineman to go down with an ACL injury in the first week of the season, but it really toyed with their game plan against Florida state. And it probably, you know, that could be a swing in the Florida state game. You look at the end of the year with Texas A&M, they just ran into a random buzzsaw in college station. And that's the difference between a championship level team versus a very good level team. And I think that's what Brian Kelly is worried about. And I think that, you know, if we, as outsiders, all we can do is just read between the lines from the guy that is seeing the team at practice every day and is in the facility every single day. So I'm cautiously picking LSU to win the West again this year, but it wouldn't surprise me if they took a slight step back. It wouldn't surprise me if Alabama got them this year, if they lost to AM again, or if they lost another game to Florida state, definitely wouldn't surprise me because the guy that's in the building every single day is saying, you know, Hey, tap the brakes. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, on the, uh, the transfer portal sec preview, my hot take come the end of the year was that AM finds a way to beat LSU in Baton Rouge. Uh, now, is that likely? Probably not sitting right here right now. But again, you talk about it. This is not an easy schedule that LSU no. has. And, and again, it's up on the, the screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. Florida State in Orlando to open. I've I've kind of said that the ball probably has to bounce the Tigers way in this game. I think they're it's going to be must-see TV. There's no doubt about that. Sunday night, it's going to be must-see TV just like it was last year. At Mississippi State, listen, I think we both are kind of out on Mississippi State as any sort of contender this year, but Start Vegas is is a tough place to play regardless, right? Arkansas, Ole Miss, a plucky Missouri team, a plucky Auburn team, all before your bye at the end of October, and then you're rewarded with at Alabama, you'll get Florida at home, Georgia State, and then Texas A&M at home. Yeah, it's great that you're playing three of your last four within the friendly confines, but this is a tough schedule that, like you mentioned, if injuries and depth play a factor, I could easily see LSU going from SEC West favorite to can we get to eight wins? Is that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. And, you know, LSU fans are probably creaming off the side of the road right now on that long bridge in the Atchafalaya Swamp. But <laughs> listen, it's a tricky schedule and you have a head coach that is still navigating his first two year trip through the sec West. And if you think that that's crazy to point out a lot of really, really good coaches, everyone save Nick Saban has really struggled with their first road trips to places in the sec West. This is Brian Kelly's first trip to start Vegas, his first trip to Vaughn Hemingway stadium in Oxford, his first trip to Tuscaloosa. So sweeping those three would be incredibly impressive. And like, I, I, I don't know what the probability. Uh Oh, you muted yourself. If you had to ask me, sorry about that. If you had to ask me, you know, are they going to win all three of those road games? I think the odds right now in August are probably not. Yeah. I, well, and, and you look at the over under the win total, it's nine and a half. 
And again, we've disagreed with win totals on this show quite frequently. Sometimes we're way correct. Sometimes we're way incorrect. I think there's a reason why the over-under is nine and a half, even if you're you know, in the camp that I am that, yeah, LSU gets over that hump. There is a very real possibility that if something were to go sideways, all of a sudden those that have tickets in favor of the Tigers are not able to cash that in. So, you know, it's. It, I think it's a testament to, one, how good LSU is that we are sitting here with their head coach publicly bringing up question marks and still saying they can win the West. They can go 11-1. and one They can make the college Alabama. football playoff. Yeah, exactly, and make yeah. it to the college football playoff. On the other hand, the strength of the West, where if you're not on your game, like Texas A&M wasn't last year, like Auburn hasn't been the last couple years, see in the cellar. Uh, you are not going to a bowl game this year. So, you know, I don't know that the extreme downside is, is or I don't know that the downside is as extreme for LSU, but still, certainly uh, something worth considering. And, and in light of the fact that Alabama is being criminally slept on coming into this season. Now, there may be reasons why folks are out on Alabama, but the the amount of disrespect that Nick Saban has gotten this offseason, I, I won't stand for it uh, as, as we move into the Crimson Tide breakdown. Listen, Alabama, their offense may be one of the weaker offenses that we've seen Nick Saban field in several years, right? It seems like Tyler Buckner might win the quarterback battle. That's probably the best outcome for them. I don't know that anybody is a believer in Jalen Milrow, although he's reportedly made some strides in fall camp. That's great. It's fall camp. Um, You've got Tommy Reese as your offensive coordinator. Again, I don't know that anyone is just fighting to get in line for tickets to the Tommy Reese show. But at the same time, we've watched Nick Saban rehabilitate coordinators or get absolutely every drop of juice out of these coordinators uh, possible, right? Kevin Steele comes over from Miami to be the defensive coordinator. I think very similar analysis there. Like, you know, he's had his moments, but at the same time, I don't know that a lot of Crimson Tide fans would have pointed at him on the coaching carousel and gone, he's Crimson Tide material, right? He's going to lead us back to the championship. What's your temperature on the Crimson Tide? It's easy to be down on them coming into this year, but at the same time, it's Alabama. We're talking about a team that was four points away and two last last play losses away from being right in the college football playoff again, right? Or at least playing Georgia for the SEC championship and probably being in position for the top four. So probably the rumors of Nick Saban's demise are greatly exaggerated if we're looking at just statistical probabilities. And yet... I find myself strongly considering them to go nine and three this year. I think that nine and three or maybe even slipping up one more time than that is certainly on the table for this year. This is definitely the worst that I felt about an Alabama Crimson Tide team. I, I don't know, since 2014, 2013 era. I mean, maybe not 13 because they're in the national championship, but this is the first time and we, we've hit this point home so many times on this podcast. If you've been listening, so scrub forward, if you don't want to hear it again, this is the first time since about 2014 that Alabama will not have a bona fide star, NFL future NFL quarterback under center that a guy that we know will one day be 
the face of an NFL franchise under center, right? It, you got to go back to the uh, Coker days of the early college football playoff for the last time that Alabama's dealt with something like this. And it's going to be an adjustment for Nick Saban. And look, Tommy Reese, it, we, we've talked a lot about him coming in as offensive coordinator. I'm underwhelmed by that hire. I think when you compare it to other this doesn't feel like a typical Saban rehab center hire, right? Like a Steve Sarkeesian, the t- the coaching talent and prowess was never in question with Sarkeesian. Or that Lane was literally Griffin. a rehab hire. It was literally a rehab hire, right? <laughs> and, you know, giving a guy a second chance that we knew was talented, we knew had the offensive mind to, you know, be one of the great offensive minds in this game. Same thing with Lane Kiffin. You know, it's not necessarily a, as deep of a personal rehab as Steve Sarkeesian, but – you know, a guy that needed a second chance after probably being too young for the previous chances that he was given, but had a great offensive mind. I don't know that about Tommy Reese. I have not seen that. Now, I also haven't seen him with the talent that Alabama is going to put on the field this fall. Notre Dame is just a step below um, on the talent level for what he's going to have to play with at Alabama. But you look at the quarterback competition, still wide open going into the year. I doubt we know who's the starting quarterback until week one. Uh, personally, and we might not even know until that's probably going to be a split, uh, a split competition, even after week one, when they play middle Tennessee. So who knows, right? Like this is the most unknowns we've had about an Alabama team in quite some time. And honestly, that makes the sec race that much more exciting for me because you get one of two things. You either get a completely new blood at the top, right? You get some guys that kind of start to climb the mountain, maybe a Texas A&M takes the next step or an Ole Miss or one of the other schools, Arkansas, or you get Nick Saban just cementing his greatness and saying, look at the coaching job that I did this year. When all of you guys were legit doubting me, I still was able to climb to the top and get back to Atlanta. So either way, I think that's going to be a fascinating story to follow. I think, I think the defense is going to be interesting as well. They've got so many fun pieces in the secondary. I mean, gosh, you you talk about Kool-Aid McHistory le- leading that secondary. I, I do wonder what they get out of the linebacker positions, what they get out of the pass rush, what Kevin Steele is going to dial up there. But, uh, you know, seeing a turnover margin in the negatives for Alabama feels feels very strange, right? Like this was an offense last year that was explosive, but – also turned the ball over at some really inopportune times. And, you know, the defense didn't force that many that many takeaways. That's what I was going to say. The defense was not a big play defense. You think about how unbeatable Alabama was in previous years. It was because they were probably scoring a defensive or a special teams touchdown on you, um, in addition to all the offensive points they were putting up. So I do wonder what kind of version of Alabama we get. If, if you'll take it back to the schedule, I think this is a very interesting schedule. For Alabama, right? Texas comes to town week two. Ole Miss comes to town week four. You go to Texas A&M on October the 7th. Say what you will about Alabama beating Texas A&M for most of their history in the SEC. They play close games in College Station. And heck, they played a close game in Tuscaloosa last year, right? Like the Aggies always play the Crimson Tide tough, especially at home. You get Tennessee back on the schedule October 21st, a late bye. LSU and then Kentucky and then Auburn after the bye week. If Alabama is not clicking on all cylinders, if Kevin Steele's defense is not taking the ball away, is not getting third down stops, 
if heaven forbid Tyler Buckner and Tommy Reese can't figure out how to move the chains like they sometimes struggled to at Notre Dame, I think nine and three is absolutely a, a possibility this year, right? Like they're yeah. not going to be head and shoulders more talented than Texas. They've got to go to Texas A&M, a very talented squad with a new offense. And then LSU and Kentucky back-to-back weeks before that game uh, at, at Auburn to end the season, there are landmines all over the place for the Crimson Tide. Mitch, show me the first Power 5 game where they have the definitive quarterback advantage on that schedule. Yeah, I don't... Is it Auburn? It, like, yeah. when, when's the first time they have the definitive quarterback advantage? Because Quinn Ewers... Um, whoever Ole Miss is going to start, they, they've got a lot of experienced guys. Maybe you say Ole Miss, that's, I'm fine with that. But, you know, Mississippi State, I don't think they have the advantage. A&M, Connor Wegman, we'll see, but he has a very, very high ceiling. Higher ceiling, yeah. yeah. J.J. Jefferson, Joe Milton, <laughs> Jaden Daniels, uh, Devin Leary. like Yeah, Peyton Thorne. I mean, Peyton, Peyton Thorne was a power five sleep. starter and led, uh, I mean, Kenneth Walker led Michigan State to 11 wins, let's be honest. But yeah. he, he drove the bus on that he team. He did. I agree. I think it's a fantastic point. I, I'm just – I'm as big of a believer as I am in Nick Saban. I am equally a detractor of Tommy Reese and Tyler Buckner. I, I mean, there's no excuse. Or Jalen Milrow, let's let's be clear. Or, or Jalen Milrow. Yeah, well, Milrow. So it sounds like you're, you're saying your prediction right now is Tyler Buckner is taking the first snap. From what I've heard, from what I've okay. heard and read, it seems like Buckner now has the inside track. Um, That's a, a, that is flabbergasting to me, but which is truly, truly crazy. Now, fluid situation, right? We're recording this one week into fall camp. That could all be thrown out the window. Jalen Milrow could assume QB one. Uh, by the time we we kick things off against Middle Tennessee State, right? Could could happen. Um, just from the most recent headlines that I've read, it, it seems like Buckner. But irregardless, I don't think you'll love your quarterback option if you're the Crimson Tide. For me, that's what keeps them from winning the SEC West at the very least and getting to Atlanta this year is I just don't know that I I believe on a schedule full of X factors and game changers at quarterback you don't have that guy. And I think it's ultimately going to hold the Crimson Tide back. Last note, it is interesting to see 10 and a half is the over under for Alabama. So, you know, as crazy as, as we think, oh, LSU could fly by that projection of nine and a half. And yet we're talking about the under for Alabama. Vegas might actually have it the other way, which, you know, is, is its own its own talking point, but and, and Nick Saban has won several of his rings without a decided quarterback advantage yes. the majority of the season. So yes, it, it, it's that needs to be said as well. Trey, let's move into our team of the year candidates. And like I let off the show with team of the year candidates are, are teams that we think, Hey, they could be right there. Week 10, week 11, week 12, all of a sudden they're hunting around for a trip to Atlanta, but also uh, they could go seven and five, right? They could be fighting for a bowl eligibility if things don't break their way. And we'll start in the East again. We'll move a little bit quicker through these, but Kentucky and South Carolina are team of the year candidates out of the East. You're a big Devin Leary fan uh, coming over from NC State. I was as well before he got hurt last year. If you Devin remember, Leary, if you're, if you're OG of the show. You remember when I picked NC State to go to the college football playoff once upon a time. Uh, we don't need to revisit that though, but 
What we do need to visit about is Devin Leary's healthy again, and he's playing for Big Blue Nation. Uh, I've forgotten which one of the athletic writers said at one point this season we all will call Devin Leary Will Levis uh, because a generational quarterback with a big arm and NFL draft potential. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. So I'm really proud. I'm really proud it hadn't (laughs) happened yet, but I'm willing to to believe it probably does at one point during the season. Um, Big, big deal though, is that he gets Liam Cohen back, right? The offensive coordinator that led Kentucky to unheard of heights of offensive prowess before he left for the Los Angeles Rams. He's back in town. Now the over under for this Kentucky team is six and a half. I think that's a little low. Uh, and I think a large part of it is because one, the offense should be really good this year. Two, the defense can only improve from a season ago. Their pass rush percentage, like getting to the quarterback, was abysmal. I think it was less than five percent. I think there's only room for Kentucky to improve defensively. And this schedule, the, the back half is tough, but if they can make their hay in the front half, I think they can easily clear that hurdle. I think, yeah, absolutely. I, may or may not have invested some of my own personal currency in the Kentucky over this year. Um, Look, Devin Leary is everything that we hoped Will Levis could be last year. And I think that he has a very, very good season with Liam Cohn back because you look at the identity of the Kentucky offense. When Kentucky's winning a bunch of football games, they're running the football. And without Liam Cohn last year, they were – dang near close to the bottom in the entire country, 108th in the entire country in rush yards per game. You're telling me a Mark Stoops Kentucky team is ranking over 100th in running the football. I'm telling you, they have a lot of problems. You look at the turnover margin, of course, that was an issue too, but this was a broken Kentucky team last year. This was a team that thought they could rely on Will Levis and put the game on his back, and they just really couldn't last year quite frankly they tried to put a lot of games on his back and will levis just couldn't handle that completely for whatever reason maybe it was the offensive scheme maybe it was you know worrying more about the draft stock i I don't know but that just did not work out for them last year i'm higher on devin leary as an nfl prospect than i was on will levis ever and i was pretty high on will levis going into last year so I'm excited about Kentucky. I think the defense is going to be just fine. Kentucky usually puts a really salty defensive unit out on the field. So give me them, you know, returning back to means on that. And even last year, the scoring bottom line, they were really, really good held opponents under 20 points a game. So I I mean, you're looking for the, to fill that vacuum in the East. Who's the third best team behind Georgia and Tennessee. I think Kentucky's right there and has a claim to maybe even be second. And if everything goes well, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll tip my hand a little bit, and if if you listen to uh, to the previous podcast from the transfer portal CFB site, you know I'm I'm out on South Carolina. I'm I'm selling the hype. We'll get there in a minute. Um, yeah, Kentucky's offensive line last season was atrocious. Uh, they were so <laughs> bad. They were so bad, and they have a couple of transfers coming in this year. Um, I'm forgetting his name, Tommy, Tommy Bowles, I believe coming over from Alabama is probably one of the headliners, but, uh, Marquise Cox as well. Right. And Marquise Cox. Yep. You're you're right. I'm still, I'm still very concerned that a team that wants to build the great wall of, of wildcat and run the ball behind them. They've got to show it to me, right? Keontae Goodwin transferred to Florida. Now he's 
probably going back home because of a family situation be closer there. So they've lost some guys, right? And and they haven't been able to replace them in the last season plus. I want to see that improve before I believe that they can actually reach a 9 a 10 game win uh, yeah, 10 game ceiling, but you're right on the defense. As long as they can improve that that pass rush, they were bottom third of the country easily in those metrics and tackle for loss and sack rate. If they can improve that, if they can get to the quarterback a little bit more and just give a very, actually a pretty solid secondary time to operate, right? And and time to, to lock down these wide receivers. I think Kentucky can be really dangerous. I, I'm curious what you think of their schedule, because like I said, if I think if they can make hay in the front half, Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, Vandy, Florida. Like to me, that's five and zero. Oh. They get Florida at home. Um, they play Georgia on the road. That's that's going to be a loss more than likely. And then they get Missouri at home before the bye. The back half of their schedule is is where rubber meets the road, right? Tennessee, Miss State, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisville. Three of those five are, are on the road. But depending on what you think about South Carolina, depending on what you think about about Louisville. This is a team that can go nine and three, five and three in conference, in my opinion. Yeah, they could also be a Syracuse special from last year where they <laughs> come out hot and then falter down the stretch. But I'm leaning towards the former personally. I, I really like this Kentucky team. I like the way they've recruited, I like the talent that they put together. And I like Mark Stupas is a dang good coach. He is criminally underrated on the national scene. I feel like we say that every single year. More and more people are picking up on how good of a coach he is. And, you know, if you listen to people like Andy Staples, he has the best job in America because all the spotlights on if John Calipari is making it to the Elite Eight and Final Four. So, look, I, I'm really high on them this year. They're borderline darling team for me right now. Um, I'm penciling them in possibly in that in that role for me. And, yeah, that stretch down the – if you look down the stretch, they do have a difficult schedule. But Tennessee and Alabama at home, if you can just find a way to split one of those, right? If you can find a way to steal Tennessee or Alabama at home, I think you got Mississippi state and South Carolina. I think that you have the advantage there both on the road. Louisville's a rivalry game, but they've kind of owned Louisville yeah, they in the last decade or so. So I don't know, man, it could be a really special season if they can just find a way to steal one of those marquee home games. If I set the, the over under at eight and a half, Ooh. Instead of six and a half, which side are you taking? I'm I'm doing some math here. <laughs> this this <sighs> question was not in the show notes. I I might take the over still. I I might still take the over. I mean, you got to win at Mississippi State and at Louisville to make that happen. I think they can do it. But it's and very you doable. I mean, they lose at Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee at home. Yeah, and you know, sweep the rest of the. I think that's definitely on the table. I think that's a ceiling, but it's definitely on the table. I agree. I agree. High on the Wildcats this year. Team that I'm not high on, Trey, is South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, you said earlier in this show, you said that Spencer Rattler is a solid quarterback. I want you to defend that because (laughs) Spencer Rattler at times, I mean, he truly is a tale of two cities. It can be the best of times. It can be the worst of times for the South Carolina offense. I look at a a defense that has no pass rush and has some, some questions maybe around the depth of the secondary, but tell me why, tell me why I'm wrong on Spencer Rattler. Got to be a backstreet boy here. Um, 
Listen, I, I'm not going to argue with you that Spencer Rattler is some elite game-changing quarterback. I think he is what he is at this point. But his highs are capable of beating very good teams. I give you the Tennessee game last year. I give you the Clemson last year. I think his ceiling can beat almost any team on South Carolina's schedule on any given Saturday, right? I don't think his ceiling can beat Georgia. I don't think his ceiling can, you know, sweep through the rest of the schedule, but his absolute ceiling can beat most of the teams on South Carolina's schedule. Now, his floor can lose to anyone on the schedule, save Furman. So, and maybe Jacksonville State. But I, look, I'm not going to sit here and defend Spencer Rattler as some elite quarterback or Heisman candidate or program saver at South Carolina. But I do think he is capable of beating, he's capable of putting a performance together that can be exciting, right? He's capable of causing chaos in the SEC East race. And, more so, I'm just kind of defaulting. There's, there's a couple coaches in the SEC, so I'm just kind of defaulting to making a bowl game at this point. And it's Shane Beamer and um, Eli Drinkwitz because somehow, some way, they do. They just stumble their way. In. South Carolina didn't stumble their way in last year. They were pretty comfortably in a bowl game, but those two just figure out a way to make the postseason at their respective schools. And hats off to them for that. I am a little bit lower on South Carolina this year. They found a way last year. I think they took advantage of some vulnerable teams at vulnerable times last year, like AM, um, Tennessee. I think, you know, we talked about the injury. Clemson was very vulnerable at the end of the year last year as well. So I think they did take advantage of some vulnerability on their schedule, but they do have a very difficult schedule once again this year. You know, anytime you have to play Georgia and Clemson, they're opening with North Carolina. I think that's a really tricky game for their defense if they can't pressure drake may road trips to AM, missouri tennessee it's it's a difficult difficult schedule it's tough to get them past a ceiling of six wins for me really so you're setting your ceiling at six i i i wouldn't say that's the absolute ceiling because again spencer rattler could ball out he could cause chaos he is the ultimate chaos agent in the sec east so they they could make a run and if he fi- somehow finds a way to be consistent I think they've got the talent offensively to win a lot of football games, but just knowing what I know about Spencer Rattler and knowing what I know about the defensive, you know, lack of pass rush, lack of, you know, true star power on that side of the ball. I think six and six is a fair, you know, midpoint, maybe not quite their ceiling, but pushing towards the ceiling for what I believe this year. I I'm, I look at their schedule and you know, there are folks out here saying, oh, South Carolina can win 10 games this year. They show can. me where, show me, well, uh, sure. <laughs> there's they a universe where they, there's infinite universes, right? <laughs> and they can maybe win 10 games. There is right. Snap your fingers, and there is one universe where South Carolina wins 10 games. If my concern, my concern is, is a couple fold. One, they had a lot of people walk out the door in the transfer portal, right? It is not. Just every program, not every program is like USC, where they just replace incumbent starters that walked out of the door um, and, and win 10, 11 games, right? South Carolina's one TikTok. I'll give you that. They have one social media. But when you look at, they had a negative four turnover margin last year and still won eight games, including a couple of major upsets. Like that math doesn't math on a consistent basis, right? You mentioned they took advantage of a very 
very vulnerable Texas A&M team at home. They jumped on them. It was 21 nothing before you could, you know, spell kickoff. Um, they have to go on the road to Texas A&M this year. They have to go on the road to Tennessee. They finish at home against Kentucky and Clemson, but could be two very, very hot teams and two teams that, to be honest, I think have higher ceilings than South Carolina. So I say all of that because of two things. One, South Carolina fans, I know if you're listening to this, you're going, oh my gosh, Mitch hates South Carolina and Shane Beamer. Couldn't be anything farther from the truth. I think Shane Beamer's doing an awesome job. I think Shane Beamer has a bright future ahead of him. I do think you overachieved last year and to assume that you just automatically take a step forward, much like what Trey was saying with Brian Kelly, that can be a dangerous assumption, right? That can be a really tricky thing to navigate um, in, in the Southeastern Conference, especially when a lot of your tough road games are to start the season. And if you start losing those games, if you lose, maybe you get blown out at Georgia. Maybe you lose a close one at Tennessee. You've got no momentum going into that bye week. You come out, you have to go to Missouri in two weeks. You have to go to Texas A&M in three weeks after your bye. I'm struggling to find where South Carolina gets the momentum for 2023. Now, the recruiting is off the charts. The Gamecocks are doing great things for 2024 and beyond. I think we can have a real discussion about South Carolina and a consistent defense being towards the top of the SEC East next season. I just don't think this is the year. Do they remind you of Arkansas a bit in the West? You know, Sam Pittman comes in. He has a couple really solid seasons. He wins nine games. South Carolina fell just short of that last year. But, you know, overachieved in year two, I believe that was for Sam Pittman, or maybe three and then just kind of fell a little bit flat last year. And that wasn't all Sam Pittman's fault by any means. And that's not an indictment on Sam Pittman's future at Arkansas, but it's really hard to maintain that breakthrough season. And it's really hard, you know, when you overachieve to follow that up the next following year. So that's, that's the cause for concern for me for South Carolina. I think they're going to put a competitive product on the field. I think they're going to be a very chaotic team in the SEC East and cause a lot of problems, but I do think they might struggle to make a bowl game and, but Shane Beamer finds a way and I would not shock me if they win seven or eight games this year either. Well, yeah, like you said, it's for the same reason that I'm putting Missouri in a bowl game because the head coach finds a way, right? We'll get to Missouri in a little bit. Let's talk about the SEC West teams of the year contender. And we've got three. We were just talking about Arkansas. Uh, Woo Pig Suey fans are going to be a little bit mad that I think Arkansas is not in these three teams. We're going to talk Texas A&M. We're going to talk Auburn. We're going to talk Ole Miss. Now, disclaimer here, you could put very easily Arkansas and maybe even Mississippi State in this category as well, right? The SEC West is such a unique ecosystem where, like I said earlier, you can have a team like Texas A&M last year that was predicted to win 9 to 10 games, right, by most people. Did everyone overlook the fact that they were going to start a bunch of freshmen? Yeah. Uh, did injuries pile up for AM? Yes. But that's football, right? That happens. And instead of meeting those projections, they went five and seven. You could have that happen for Arkansas this year, right? Where we're going to be a little bit lower on them, but who knows what they could what they could see happen. So stay tuned, Arkansas fans. Just because you're in the next category does not mean that we're fully out on you. 
That's the beauty of the SEC, right? Is even our, you know, maybe next year teams, we're talking maybe next year for competing for an SEC championship, not going to a great bowl game, not, you know, pushing for, you know, eight or nine wins. That's all still very much on the table for even those lower teams, save maybe one or two. Uh, let's dive into Texas A&M because Texas A&M is, is such an interesting story this season, right? Uh, Jimbo Fisher is on the hot seat, potentially. Um, after a 5-7 and seven campaign, last year was dreadful. The six-game losing streak was um, just an absolute slog to get through as, as Aggie fans. That was no fun to watch last season, un- unless you're you know a Texas fan or an LSU fan, I guess. Um, this year, though... Texas A&M brings back, I believe, 13 upperclassmen that are going to start out of the 22. Last year, they were beset by injuries and, and freshmen having to start, right? We, we talked about this. They had a lot of freshmen that were not ready to have consistent roles. Um, Denver Harris, you know, Chris Marshall, guys that have since been dismissed from the team and, well, in Denver Harris's case, found a home elsewhere. Um, but this is a A&M team that's rejuvenated from – what I'm reading from what I'm hearing, the culture is better. The buy-in is better. The defense is ready to go. They've got a monster of a defensive line. They've got veteran pieces in the secondary, a number of big time transfers that came in Florida state, UNC, Boston college. Basically they took the ACC's secondary and, and plugged them into the depth chart. And then Bobby Petrino comes over and say what you will about his coaching career. Say what you will about his off the field headlines. The guy knows how to coach offense Tell me where you project Texas A&M to be, and and with that, who's driving the bus for them on offense? Because I think so much of A&M's discussion centers around the quarterback. It feels like we've anointed Connor Wegman as the offensive champion, but Max Johnson is right there with him from the early fall uh, camp reports. Connor Wegman's going to be the starting quarterback. I, I don't have any doubt in my mind, but... I am really intrigued to see this Bobby Petrino offense. And for all the people that were, you know, saying, oh, Jimbo's still going to call the plays. Bobby Petrino's just a figurehead. Like, finally, you can shut up because we heard it from the horse's mouth not once but twice with Jimbo and Bobby Petrino saying this is Bobby's offense. And Jimbo's, of course, going to, you know, he's going to be in the meetings and he's going to, you know, give his thoughts on the game planning. He's going to help you know, make the decisions of when to call certain plays when that's what every head coach does. That's offensive minded, but this is Bobby Petrino's offense and Bobby Petrino gets the ball in the hands of his best playmakers. That was the most frustrating thing while watching Texas A&M last year is you have guys like Evan Stewart, who's a star in the making. You have guys like Devon A. Chain, who's no longer there, but um, other Moose Muhammad, you know, the, all these talented, talented guys, and you're struggling to get the ball in their hands uh, and struggling to have a quarterback make decisions and struggling to, you know, you're having plays where receivers are running routes into each other and just no one's on the same page. The offensive line is struggling to block just a comedy of errors, right? Like you and I took in the app state upset firsthand <laughs> last we year. We were in the stadium for that debacle. And we looked at each other after the game And how we reconciled with that is that every single thing had to go wrong. And that was just a microcosm of A&M season last year, right? Every single thing that could have gone wrong went wrong. It was Murphy's Law, the Murphy's Aggies last year, right? So 
you look at what he's done to fix it, what Jimbo's done to fix it. He brings in an offensive coordinator. He's giving up play calling for the first time in his career. I think that's huge, huge, not just, you know, on the field. I think it's huge symbolically too, that he's willing to adapt and change and not just stuck in the sand. Like a lot of Aggie fans were concerned that he was. And I think you've got a guy that's going to put the ball in the hands of the best playmakers, right? You look, you get Anaya Smith back. That was a surprise bonus that he's coming back for like his 10th year of eligibility. Evan Stewart says in his sophomore year, you've got, you know, Moose Muhammad, Noah Thomas, all these plethora of weapons, a great stable of running backs as well. It's hard to look at this AM offense on paper and say that they're not going to be successful. But of course, I know what everybody's saying to me right now. We've been here before with AM. We've been here before, you know, year after year after year with AM. We've got to see it on the field. And that's where I'm at, right? It's especially, you know, like, this is a podcast by AM fans and me personally, as a fan, just taking my professional hat off for a second, I'm terrified of this season. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am absolutely terrified of this yeah. AM football season because it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be a spectacular renaissance offensively that probably gets Bobby Petrino another head coaching job somewhere. Or we're going to go four and eight and probably have to start over with, with it's just going to be a complete dumpster fire. And we're starting over from scratch. So I'm, I'm really terrified for how this is going to go. I think, you know, subtly the other concern that I have about AM is DJ Durkin on the defensive side of the ball. I was not impressed with what he was running out there last year. You talk about an offensive coordinator that plays to his strengths. I didn't see that from DJ Durkin on the defensive side of the ball last year with all the three man fronts and, uh, you know, you talk about the defensive line talent that AM has, maybe one of the deepest units in the country outside of Athens, Georgia. And they're running a three man front most of the time. It, it, it's just maddening to watch. So, for as excited as I am about the offense, I am a little concerned about the leadership on the defensive side of the ball. How are they going to fix schematically what led them to being one of the worst rush defenses in the entire country last year? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, they were one of the worst rush defenses. They were one of the best. They were the pa- best pass defense. Now, again, partially because you were running for 10 yards. Exactly, to carry on the exactly. That's what I was going to say is you didn't have to throw the ball against the Aggies. But when teams did, oftentimes that secondary came up, came up big, right? The efficiency was bad, right? So it wasn't just all it wasn't just all that they could run the ball whenever they wanted. But the efficiency was low as well. Yeah. One of the top overall returning productions in the country. They're seventh in the country in that. Um, I think the defense takes a step forward this year. I mean, if, if Durkin doesn't go to a four-man front with a defensive line that is legitimately 10 guys deep of four and five stars, I don't know what we're doing. Linebackers should be better this season, and the secondary is going to be one of the best units in the Southeastern Conference once again. I mean, you know, with the, the guys that they added in that room – um, Tony Grimes from UNC, Sam McCall from Florida State, Josh DeBerry from Boston College. I really like what they have on defense, and the offense simply cannot be worse than it was last year. We said all last season, if AM just has an average offense, if they can get to 24 points, they win the majority of those games. They're at least eight and four. <laughs> yeah, and, and so for me, I think that is a no-doubt next step that they take. It's for me, and you can switch over to their schedule, great timing there. I feel like this is a nine and three, eight and four team. Um, 
And I think it's seen as a win in College Station if you get to nine wins. If it's eight and four, I think there's going to be a lot of folks that, you know, forgot where they came from, forgot how poor last year went, and grumble their way onto the message boards. But a nine and three season, I think, would be a a legitimate victory as you build towards 2024 and 2025 that when you look at the roster should be your championship season. Yeah. I personally, I'm really concerned about the middle of the schedule. I think I agree. It's tough. The art, the art, the Auburn, who knows what Auburn's going to be. Hugh freeze. We'll talk about them in just a second. I am kind of glazing over Miami who could be very much improved mm-hmm. this year. I, I think AM can out talent Miami. I, I'm not really concerned about that. Auburn is a wild card. We don't know what they're going to be this year. The Arkansas game in Jerry world is always insane. And then you have Alabama and at Tennessee back-to-back weeks right after those two games like that, that that's a scary stretch, right? I feel like you got to go three and one to feel really confident about your nine win prediction there. And that's a really tough ask to, to get, get there, but they're capable of it, right? If the offense is already clicking, I think they've got three, out of conference games before they go into the SEC play to get kind of work out the kinks. I am lumping Miami, and with that, I understand that that's very insulting to the Hurricanes. But listen, <laughs> um, your team was bad last year too, so I don't yes. think the Canes fans can chirp about that. The battle of mid last year in College Station, Texas, <laughs> that ended seventeen nine. Um, but I, I think the Auburn and Arkansas games are really going to define how this season goes. If you go two and zero there, you're going into the Alabama game with a ton of confidence. Kyle Field's going to be rocking. You can maybe rip off an upset against a quarterback that's not quite ready for that atmosphere, and then you're going into Knoxville with a ton of confidence. So, if they can get through Auburn and Arkansas, I'm going to start putting my belief out there a little bit, and it's going to probably come back to hurt me once again. But if we can get through Auburn and Arkansas, I'll be ready to be hurt again. Always does. It always does come back to hurt us. We can't be happy in sports. Um, let's move over to Auburn. Speaking of the Tigers, boy, last year was was a tough year, uh, and the Brian Harson experiment went terribly sideways. So they've parted ways with him, and in comes Hugh Freeze, the prodigal son, literally of the SEC, <laughs> is uh, is on the planes now. He brings with him Philip Montgomery and Ron Roberts to round out his coaching staff. I'm a believer in Auburn that they can get to seven wins, and I'll tell you why. Their quarterback situation, I believe, is pretty solidified with Peyton Thorne. I understand that he was not the reason why Michigan State won all those games two seasons ago. Totally get that. But he is a step above what we saw from TJ Finley and Robbie Ashford last year. You talk about the battle of mid. That was the Auburn quarterback (laughs) battle where they just could not get a winner under center uh finley's gone and ashford is is going to play the the qb2 and likely we'll see some playing time but for me where i really believe in what auburn's doing they solidified that offensive line they had one of the worst offensive lines in the country last year and what did hugh freeze do he immediately goes into recruiting from the portal bringing in power five guys that unit should be really solid trey for me you couple that with a very handshake start to the season, uh, the first three weeks. Then you get at Texas A&M, you get Georgia, but still a three and two start going into a bye, and you can build on that. Now, where it gets tricky is, is right after the bye, right? You got to go to LSU. We'll talk about Ole Miss in a second. You play the Mississippi schools both at home. I like them to split that. 
Then you go to Vandy, to Arkansas, you play the Aggies of New Mexico State, and you play Alabama. If they can split against the Mississippi schools, I think they sweep Vanderbilt and Arkansas. I'll defend that when we get there. You beat New Mexico State, and then, Trey, I think you have a very legitimate chance of knocking off Alabama at home. It's what Auburn does. Every couple of years, no matter what the talent differential is, no matter how hot Alabama is, Auburn can beat them at home. Heck, they announced that you can roll Tombs Corner again this season. (laughs) Wouldn't that be apropos to beat the Tide at home? I think Auburn can get to eight wins this year. I really do. Wow. And you know what? You say it's what Auburn does is beating Alabama at home. It's what Hugh Freeze does as well, right? You go back to his time at Ole Miss. But Auburn's just going to be fascinating to watch this year. I have no idea what to expect. I know I'm supposed to have a take. I know I'm supposed to have like research to back up that take. I have no idea what to expect. Auburn could go eight and four. Like you're saying, they could also go four and eight and neither one would really surprise me either way. It's going to be fascinating to see how the offense really gels. They're bringing in, you know, right now you're looking at their projected depth chart. There's seven guys that are transfers that are projected starters, including Peyton Thorne at quarterback and two or three of the offensive linemen. And then another four or five guys, in the two deep on the offensive side of the ball and defensively, you know, that front seven is going to be entirely new faces, experienced faces, but new faces, right? So like we talked about with a ton of teams that are relying on transfer talent, we talked about this with Colorado. We talked about this with, um, you know, a couple teams in the ACC and big 12 as, or big 10 as well. It's going to depend on how fast that, transfer talent can mesh and what you might see is a bit of a struggle at the beginning of the year you know i'll pull up their schedule one more time but you might see a little bit of a struggle at the beginning of the year those AM and georgia games that meshing might not have occurred yet and you could see a couple of very discouraging outputs in those two games you could also see auburn go into college station and embarrass jimbo fisher and make AM really put him on the hot seat like neither one of those two things would surprise me But you look down the stretch, I think you're right. There's an opportunity there to get a lot of big wins down the stretch, splitting the Mississippi schools, Vanderbilt on the road, Arkansas on the road. Those are two winnable games on the road if Auburn's able to click by then. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. You should never count them out at home in the Iron Bowl. So, you know, we can pull up their stats from last year. It really doesn't matter because of all the new faces, new coach, new energy in that program. Brian Harson was a dead man walking from before week one last year. And that really weighs on a facility that really weighs on a entire fan base at some point. So I don't know, man, I talk about South Carolina being the wild card in the East. Auburn is a hundred percent the wild card in the West because their range of outcomes is just so drastic and so volatile. And, you know, it's perfect for that fan base, right? Like they're the most rational and level-headed fan base in the sec. So of course, they, they'll be able to handle the volatile range of outcomes, right? Yeah, nobody's going to lose any sort of thing <laughs> since out on the planes. Uh, you know, folks are going to, oh, that's right, it's Saturday. We play today. Um, <laughs> good, good luck, Auburn fans. I really I really do hope uh, for the best for you guys. Long term, are you high on Hugh Freeze, though? Right now, I am. I, I mean, am the way that he's recruiting, it's kind of a Shane Beamer model, right, where I don't know that I can see a path to 9-10 wins every year. They're going to have one of the tougher schedules in the SEC every year. Yeah, they they for sure do. But, you know, Gene Chizik won a national championship in a year that Auburn, you know, grew up and bit everybody, right? Like Auburn doesn't – 
Auburn doesn't have to win 10 games a year to keep their championship window open. They can go six and six, seven and five the season before, put it all together and reach reach a national championship. Like that's just kind of the unique position that Auburn's in. They recruit well, they develop well. It just doesn't always pan out on the field for whatever reason. But uh, Auburn, Auburn's championship window is like one year at a time. It's, it's not the normal, you know, three to four window. And if you miss it, you missed it. So especially in the portal era, because I think Hugh Freeze is going to be able to attract legit quarterback talent out of the portal. So speaking of a guy who attracted quarterback talent out of the portal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ole Miss Lane Kiffin. He is recruiting all the quarterbacks to the SIP. Uh, He has legitimately four starters starting options at quarterback. Uh, plus he got a kid to transfer, uh, reclassify a year and a half out of his normal high school schedule to come join that quarterback room as QB five, quite literally. Um, listen, Ole Miss is, is a fun team. They're an explosive team on offense throughout Kiffin's tenure. The defense has been what held them back. You look at the 2022 results. Everybody was buying Ole Miss stock until they got shellacked at LSU. Um, seemed like maybe they got it back on track. It was a Quinshawn uh, Judkins show at Texas A&M and then lost to Bama, lost to Arkansas, lost to Mississippi State, lost to Texas Tech in the Texas Bowl. And it kind of left a, a weird taste in, in folks' mouths for what the Rebels' season ultimately meant. Now, again, they've gone to the portal. The, the, the song and dance with Kiffin is he's not a very good high school recruiter, but he can recruit veteran talent out of the portal – and that's what he did, both on the offensive side and the defensive side. Trey, the secondary alone, just a couple of additions out of the portal. Zamari Walton, Georgia Tech, he'll be a starter. Deshaun Gaddy, North Texas, best uh, best corner um, in, uh, in the group of five. Dejon Anthony, Liberty. Jaden Kennedy, Tulane. We saw him win a, a Cotton Bowl. John Sanders, uh, Miami of Ohio. That's just guys that right now are filling out their secondary. They're not even starters outside of Watson. It's, it's probably going to be Wat or I'm sorry, Walton and uh, DeAndre Prince. That's just how Ole Miss rolls, right? They they bring in Zachary Franklin from UTSA. Boy, he's going to be a lot of fun in that offense with whatever quarterbacks thrown to him. Quinshawn Judkins is is going to be an All American. Could be a Heisman candidate. This Ole Miss offense is going to be a lot of fun, and yet, because there are still questions on the defensive side, I think edge rusher specifically, I think what does that secondary actually look like on a week-in and week-out basis? Ole Miss could be the team that goes 10-2 and two and upsets everybody, or they could be 7-5, and 6-6 six and six again. If you had to pick one of those two outcomes, which way are you leaning? Well, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know how I feel about Lane Kiffin and you know how I feel like he's not a championship caliber coach and he gets all this unwarranted love because look, I, there was the Quinshawn Judkins show last year. Right. And I think it, it will be again this year. And to give him his praise, he is the most electric running back in the sec, if not the entire country now that, you know, Bijan Robinson has gone to the NFL. So Ole Miss is another one of those teams that you're right. They could win 10 games. They could, you know, take the SEC by storm or they could fizzle out down the stretch. And right now I feel like Lane Kiffin has a little bit of Kevin Sumlin in him because it seems like every year, you know, they're starting hot. They're starting, you know, last year they took advantage of a really soft schedule. 
to open the year. We just kept waiting for them to play someone. And they finally did. And we saw what this cracks in the foundation. So color me skeptical as someone who relies fully on the portal. You know, like you can tweet all the funny videos you want. You can tweet all the weird self-hype up videos that you want. You can direct your, I'm about to go on a rant and I'm sorry, but you can direct your, your social media staff to tweet all the hype videos about you that you want. It doesn't make you a better coach on the field or a more mature coach on the field. And we have never seen Lane Kiffin sustain success as a head coach. We have not seen it outside of Florida sure. Atlantic, right? So color me skeptical that we're finally going to see it at its place that does not have the advantages, does not have the, you know, built-in surroundings, the built-in infrastructure that some of the closest rivals in the SEC do. Now, is he going to jump up and get people every single year? Absolutely. He has a brilliant offensive mind. He can run a very lethal offense, and he puts the ball in the hands of his best players. Case in point, Quinshawn Jenkins last year. He did not think Jackson Dart could win in football games, so he gives it to the freshman running back 400 times. And they win a lot of football games, but – when you play more elite defenses, when you play teams that are, you know, even or better talented than you, it's going to catch up to you. And you're always, always, always going to struggle with bringing all these transfers in every single year with getting it to gel quickly. So, you know, pulling up their schedule again for this year, I'm really concerned about the start. I think they, last year they benefited from a very soft start to the schedule. You look at just compare it side by side, Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa, Kentucky, Vanderbilt and a struggling Auburn, right? You're wondering why they started 7-0. and There's your answer right there. And you compare that to this year, Mercer, obviously that's they shouldn't have any trouble with that. You go to Tulane, that brings back Michael Pratt. Georgia Tech at home, I don't think they'll – you're higher on Georgia Tech than I am, but I don't think they're yeah, going to struggle. Yeah, not to win that game. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to struggle with Georgia Tech. And then they're in Tuscaloosa, and – at home against LSU and then KJ Jefferson comes to town on October 7th. So you could legitimately be staring at a two and four start. I I don't think that's out of the question. I think that's the absolute floor, but I don't, I think the chances of that happening are greater than zero right now. I'm picking Tulane to win that game in New Orleans. We're going to have to have a discussion about that offline. (laughs) Tulane lost everybody other than Michael Pratt. And they're uh, we'll, going to we'll have the quarterback we'll have, advantage and it's weird things happen when power five teams go to G five stadiums, man. Like that is, I watched, I, you and I both watched Tulane, a Tulane team that had no business beating USC last year, find a way to beat USC dude, last year. That's, that's totally fair. I agree. I think they've got to get off to a hot start. Um, I do think they beat Arkansas at home. I, I also think they find a way to beat Texas A&M at home. You know, you they probably at, you look at the Aggies and and that schedule, they have to play Ole Miss and Mississippi State back-to-back, which is just a continued, you know, middle finger to the Aggies because we know Texas A&M doesn't sweep the Mississippi schools. In fact, they, they're more likely to get swept by the Mississippi schools than they ever are to go 2-0 and against them. And, and so, you know, to to have to go to Vaught-Hemingway, I don't think that's a – especially tough place to play for, for some of these teams, some of these elite teams. But I, I do think Ole Miss finds a way to beat the Aggies. I, I've got Ole Miss going eight and four. I think they answer enough defensive questions to be dangerous, to beat a team that might have the talent advantage over them. But ultimately I, I don't think that they're a championship contender um, for this year. So, you know, 
Ole Miss, hey, eight and four is a good season. I, I don't think that they're elite. I don't think they're they're bad. They're on the cusp. Um, and, and that may just be where they have to live uh, right now in the era of transfer portal. Lane Kiffin um, is currently on a four-game losing streak. I just want to end with that. That's, that's fair. That's very <laughs> fair. Uh, Trey, all right, let's move into there's always next year. And we can fly through these. I think for, I think for the East, we've got Florida, Missouri, and Vandy. There are certainly positives for all three teams. I only have one of these teams making a bowl game, and I already tipped that hand. It's Missouri. Uh, for the West, it's Arkansas and Mississippi State. Again, I've undoubtedly ticked off Arkansas fans. Mississippi State fans might be slowly nodding, um, and I'm not down on Mississippi State as a program. I just think this year is going to be a rebuilding year for for a variety of reasons. But let's start with Florida. Billy Napier's gotta gotta do something this year because my friend, you know, I put in our notes. There's always next year, but next to Florida, I put nope. Because 2024 is going to be disgusting for the Florida Gators. This year, for me, it's all on, do you believe in Graham Mertz? Do you believe that he can take you to a bowl game? Their over-under win total is five and a half. I think that's a very fair line. I think wild to see next to the Florida Gators, though, isn't it? It is. It, it absolutely is. Um, but I think somewhere in that four to six win range is absolutely fair for this team, and I think if you look at their schedule, you'll see why. At Utah, now we'll see what Utah is like week one. They've got Keithy and uh, and Rising both coming back from lower body injuries. Are they both full strength for week one? I don't know. Uh, we'll see there. Tennessee at home. They got to go to Kentucky. They got to go to South Carolina all before the bye. And then I think legitimately they could lose every game after their bye versus Georgia, versus Arkansas, at LSU, at Missouri home against Florida State. Tell me where the wins are on this schedule because I have a really hard time finding them. You made that claim that they could lose every game after the bye, and I was like, wait a second. And then I looked at the schedule, and I think you're absolutely right. They could lose every single game after their bye. I'm not predicting a high watermark for Florida this year. I think, you know, Billy Napier, long-term, the jury's still out. I have my doubts that he can get it turned around and keep the fan base happy enough long-term, but... Look, you, you've got a team that's going to be led by Graham Mertz at quarterback. I think Anthony Richardson's legs scratched and clawed Florida to a bowl game last year. And you're definitively downgrading at quarterback this year. So it's going to be a difficult stretch. You don't really have a runway to get going on the schedule either. You know, you have a, most teams have a couple of tune-up games. You, have, you start with Utah and, you know, McNeese back home, but then Tennessee right after that. So it's going to be really difficult for Florida to get sustained momentum going throughout this entire process. So yeah, I'm lower on Florida this year. I think, you know, you look at last year's stats, obviously Anthony Richardson carried a lot of the rushing offense. That was the bright spot, but defensively just not characteristic of what we've come to know out of Florida. Right. And I don't know where the reinforcements are coming from um, on that side of the ball to make you feel confident they're not returning a lot of production. That production wasn't good last year, but I, I just don't know where the reinforcements are coming from because they didn't really address it in the transfer. They did get a you know nice middle linebacker picked up and uh, ter- I, I can't pronounce his last name, but Terada Mitchell. And other than that, I'm just not really sure where the reinforcements are coming from on defense. So I'm concerned that they're going to give up just a ton of points and not be able to keep up offensively. 
they they should have a really good defensive line. Now you look at the rush defense, a hundredth. You look at the the sacks, ninety eighth. Tackles for loss, eightieth. Like nothing about that screams elite. But from all reports, uh, you know you've got Caleb Banks, Justice Boone at great camps. They're going to anchor what should be a very solid defensive line for the Gators. The problem for me is the secondary. And if you've listened to our preview series, you know if a team has secondary question marks i'm typically really down on them especially in a league that's going to throw the football it's just really tough to say you don't have the quarterback advantage you're likely not going to have the time of possession advantage although maybe florida can eke that out with travis Etienne running the football but when you struggle to move the chains and if you struggle to move the chains this is a league where you can get eaten up Right. And, and I'm afraid that's going to happen to the Gators. They have to replace what was maybe the best offensive line they've had in two decades um, in the swamp. I don't know. You know, I mentioned Keontae Goodwin transferred there. Now has, has left the program to be closer to home. Um, I just don't think Napier has a lot of answers on offense or Austin Armstrong, the new defensive coordinator from Alabama. I don't think he has the answers in the secondary. I just think it's going to be a long season uh, for the Gators. I, I feel like that that if, if Florida really struggles down the stretch, even though Napier is recruiting his tail off, I really find it tough to keep him employed. Uh, maybe you do. Maybe he's the dead man walking going into the 2024 schedule. You know you're not going to win next year, so maybe you keep the figurehead and then replace him after that year when you're ready to compete on an easier schedule. We've certainly watched teams do that in the past, but this this year and next year, I'm so sorry, Gator fans. I, I just think it's going to be a, a little bit of a battle. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm I'm not high on the Gators this year, and they could be pleasantly surprised. They do have talent on that roster, but just too brutal of a schedule, especially after that bye week. Trey, tell me why I'm crazy to have Missouri going six and six this year. They don't have an established quarterback. The Brady Cook experiment, boy, sounds like Tiger fans are kind of ready for that to end. You've got Jake Garcia, who's transferred in from Miami. You've got a loaded wide receiver core, an offense that should be really fun, and a defense that was actually decent last year. Um, boy, this schedule, man, it's not friendly to them they draw kansas state in a non-conference game whoever scheduled that made a mistake um listen memphis in st louis like i don't know a ton about the tigers at the current moment but i have a hard time believing that that's just a runaway train of a victory uh lsu kentucky south carolina all before the bye and then you get georgia tennessee florida at arkansas am i crazy for thinking that missouri can find their way to six wins like they always seem to do I mean, it's just the story with them, right? They're just the little team that could get all the way to six wins under Eli Drinkowitz because they had no business getting there last year, sitting at two and four halfway through the season, going into the Vanderbilt game. And, you know, they win four of their last six, and there they are right there in uh, playing Wake Forest in a bowl game at the end of the year. So, I, I mean, all signs on paper say that you shouldn't pick them too but i mean you look at their vegas over under they have a higher over under than florida they do and i i think they get florida at home i think that's a good bonus for them i was looking at their you know who they draw from the west and i was gonna say lsu is definitely an upgrade from auburn last year but they lost to auburn last year so you can just kind of trade but they did 
they shouldn't have. That was one of the dumbest games of the entire college football season last year. But yeah, I mean that, that Memphis game I think is going to be tricky. That could be one that you pencil in as a questionable loss. Vanderbilt. I'm going to talk about Vanderbilt here in a second, man. And I, I, I'm a little high on the Commodores this year, but uh, going to Nashville might not be as easy as it has been in previous years. They go to Arkansas as well. They seem to have, you know, kind of have the Razorbacks number in recent years, especially when they need that game to get to bowl eligibility. But playing at Arkansas is definitely going to be tougher than playing at home. So, you know, it, it's going to come down to probably the last couple weeks of the season. They might be five and five, four and six going into that Florida game and need to win one of those last two. And who knows? Those, those are a couple of toss up games there at the end. They could definitely get back to a bowl game. I might bet on them doing that, but still bet the under sure. um, on the six and a half over under. I think that I think to get to seven very favorable because in my count you have to beat one of kansas state lsu kentucky south carolina which they could do at home they absolutely could beat south carolina at home uh georgia tennessee are the losses that i have i do have them beating florida at home i do have them going on the road to beat arkansas um again really just because i needed a sixth win and i think missouri's defense is going to be good this year i like their secondary i like the defensive line this was a team that was one of the worst run defenses historically in college football a couple of seasons ago. They've turned that around to where they were 32nd last year, right? Really impressive. Yeah, yeah, they had a top 50 pass defense, a top 35 total defense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice. I'm gonna say the Tigers can can find a way to bowl eligibility. Um it's it's kind of a wonky schedule. They gotta make their hay early, but I think Missouri can do it. My question for you though. As we get to this final East team, AJ Swan is going to be a lot of fun at Vandy, but tell me why you're more bullish on Vandy than I am. I've got him going four and eight. I don't know that they get an SEC win. How much higher do you have the doors? I have them at six and six, and it's a total vibe six and six. I, I just love the vibes coming out of Nashville, man. I love Clark Lee's confidence saying that he wants to be one of the best programs in college football or the best program in college football. That was something. Um, that that was something he doubled down on it again this year, like in, in his comments. So at SEC media day. So look, I, I'm not picking them to win the SEC championship. I'm not picking them to go to Atlanta, but Smart. I do see the path to the bowl game for the first time in a long time at Vanderbilt. And you look at how things went down last year, right? Like they, their losses for the most part were not close. They, they played somewhat close to Wake Forest. They had drew Alabama and Georgia last year. They still went five and seven on a schedule where they're playing Alabama and Georgia. So Alabama's off the schedule. They replaced that with um, Ole Miss who, or no, Ole Miss is their permanent rival. They're replacing it with Auburn. And look, could they beat Auburn at home. I think that's possible. Auburn's obviously the wild card that we talked about earlier, but they have to go undefeated in non-conference and their non-conference is just unnecessarily tricky, right? They've got uh Tommy Chang's Hawaii team who I don't think is going to still be quite functional yet when they get to that week zero matchup. Alabama A&M at home should be a win. They go to Wake Forest and to UNLV. So I, I'm not sure, you know, they scheduled a road game out of power a G5 team last year as well with Northern Illinois, and they were, took care of business there. Wake Forest could be vulnerable, but I wish they got that game at home. Sure. If they can find a way to go 4-0 oh 
in non-conference. I think they can they they probably don't beat Kentucky. They beat Kentucky last year, but I don't think they beat Kentucky in Lexington with Devin Leary. They get Missouri at home, and that game is going to define if they can make a bowl game to me because the schedule gets a lot tougher at Florida, Georgia at home, Ole Miss, Auburn at home, and at South Carolina and Tennessee to close out the year. If they can find a way to be 5-1 and one after Missouri, I think, number one, they're going to be the talk of college football, maybe more so than Kansas last year. And two, we're looking at a Vanderbilt team that could be really special under Clark Lee. Now, I, I don't know if they have the horses, to be honest with you. I, I know they're bringing in uh, you know, Cedric Alexander as a re- guy they're really excited about as a freshman at running back. A.J. Swan flashed a lot last year even though he didn't get you know full reins on that job for the entire season so i don't know there's a lot of question marks in nashville as there always will be but i think they can find a way to get to six and six this year will shepherd's gonna be fun out wide had 60 catches yeah. last year for over 776 yards something like that so uh i think lots he had nine continuity too. Lot, lots of continuity on, yeah. on the offensive side of the ball so it's it's possible i don't know that it's probable but it is possible um right that the program is headed in the right direction and when you have positive momentum you're headed in the right direction these things happen right there's no reason why you should say no vanderbilt just inherently cannot make it to a bowl game so they've done it in the past right they, and have. they have the right coaching and look turnover margin was right at zero last year get a few balls to bounce your way you're looking at a bowl game last year, right? And maybe in the Missouri game or one of those other close ones. So yeah. who knows? Uh, let's switch over to the SEC West. Two teams to finish this out at Arkansas and Mississippi State. I've preempted all the Arkansas hate. And, and let me say right off the top, I've got them going seven and five. I, I just don't think they have the ceiling that some of the other SEC West teams do. Um, you look at this schedule, we'll start with the schedule, and it's a it's a fairly comfy start. I think BYU's offense could be plucky. Kent State is is not what they were a season ago. They lost everybody. Kent right? State barely has a team. Yeah, they they are not gonna be the team that, that blows your, your house down um in week two. But then out of LSU, Texas A and M, and I think hopefully, I think maybe the last Game at Jerry World, is that right? Do we have another? Uh, I think 2024, they got one more. We got one more, okay. At Ole Miss, at Alabama, so you spend an entire month of the season away from the friendly confines. No, no, no. You have one home game between September 16th and November 11th. Well, exactly. Because you got a bye (laughs) week. you got a bye week. Welcome to A&M's hell last year of the road trip in the middle of the season. Yeah. Uh, Florida, Auburn... FIU and Missouri to finish the year. It's a more comfy end of the season, but I worry that Arkansas could get so bludgeoned uh, on the road this year between September and October that it really takes kind of the vigor out of the season. The reason I'm worried about that is because they lost so much to the transfer portal this year, Uh, Trey. It was just, it's not good. They lose uh, their offensive coordinator as well uh, in Kendall Bryles to TCU. Now, K.J. Jefferson's back, right? And a lot of people are saying that K.J. Jefferson is the reason why this team is an SEC dark horse. Why K.J. Jefferson and Rocket Sanders are going to lead the Hogs to a 9-win season, to a 10-win season. Personally, I don't see it. I think they're both really good offensive talents. I think I believe more in, in Raheem Sanders than I do in K.J. Jefferson. 
but for me, the questions are on the defensive side of the ball. They have John Morgan the third transferring from Pitt. I like him. I think their pass rush could be fine, but they're replacing a lot of depth in that linebacker core, and there are questions in the secondary. Dwight McLaughlin is is really, really good. He's a stud. I don't know about the advocacy of that, the rest of that group, though, and, and hey, finally, Bumper Pool is at eligibility, right? Like, that had to end sometime. The dynasty of Bumper Pool is over. Um, so for me, I, I really, I really worry that KJ Jefferson just has a tough time staying healthy. Um, and I think that schedule is just so tough. They've got to be the team, kind of like A&M was, to take some losses where the fan base is going to go, there's no way we lose that game. And then lo and behold, you get to week eight and you're three and five. Because someone has to, right, in the SEC West every single year. And look, I think there's a potential to be a really, really dangerous and super fun to watch trio in KJ Jefferson, Rocket Sanders, and Isaiah Sategna, um, the freshman wide receiver. He is blazing fast. And if he can be... Traylon Burke's light, then I think that, you know, you look at this offense a little bit differently, but one thing that's really interesting to me, and we talked about this with, and, you know, I know we're trying to finish up this real quick, but we talked about with Harold Perkins, how they're changing what he does best at LSU and how we're kind of concerned about that. You listen to what um, Dan Enos wants to do and what Sam Pittman has told Dan Enos he wants to do with KJ Jefferson I was listening to Sam Pittman get interviewed by Andy Staples on his new podcast. And Sam Pittman wants KJ Jefferson to throw the ball 30 to 40 times a game. Yeah. Why? I, I get you want to keep him healthy. I get you want to keep him, you know, in the pocket more so he can play in all these games, but his best weapon is his legs. And if you're not utilizing that to the best of its ability, that's what got you to nine wins a couple of years ago. So if you're not, letting KJ be KJ and run the ball and use his best weapon. I'm just not sure that he's a polished enough quarterback at this point in his career to be a stand in the pocket, throw the ball, Dan Enos quarterback. So I'm concerned about that as well. The defense has a lot of question marks and yeah, all that put together means I'm not really high on the hogs. I do also have them going seven and five, but I think the championship, the dark horse talk, you need to tap the brakes on that, that a little bit if you're an Arkansas fan. Well, that is exactly my concern uh, is I don't, I just don't believe in KJ Jefferson as the uber polished passer to, to get things done in the West. Right. So we'll see with Arkansas again, seven and five, I think is, is a fine season. It's just not an elite season. Uh, finally, Mississippi state, listen, they're changing everything, right? Other than Will Rogers at quarterback, they've got a new head coach um, with the passing of the pirate. They're doing an inc- a completely new scheme. Kevin Barbie comes in as the offensive coordinator. Matt Brock is elevated to the defensive coordinator, but Zach Arnett is still absolutely going to have his fingerprints all over this. Um, now, listen, the betting outlook is six and a half wins for Mississippi State, and the beginning part of the schedule is very friendly, right? I mean, if you can beat Arizona at home, which maybe they're favored to do that, I, I think Arizona has a really good chance to be solid this year. If, if you can find a way to beat South Carolina, then maybe you feel pretty good. You're four and two going into the bye week. But the problem is then maybe your three toughest games, uh, I guess outside of Kentucky, are all on the road in the second half at Arkansas, at Auburn, home against Kentucky, at Texas A&M, and then you finish uh, with Ole Miss uh, in the Egg Bowl. You do get Ole Miss at home. But for me, you're changing 
changing everything about your offense. They do have a running back room that I think they can be competitive in Jaquavius, Mark, Simeon, Price behind Arnett's now style of running the football. Will Rogers is captain check down. He's going to throw a bunch of short passes. Uh, so I guess this is fine for their skill set, but it's an entire uh, an entirely new offensive line that now has to learn a new blocking scheme as well. I, I just feel like they might have to take their their turn as the the bottom bunk uh, this season, the bottom of the totem pole. I, I can't find very many reasons to get excited about Mississippi State. I think if you're looking for optimism, it's that they are going to an entirely new system. And the pessimistic point of view of that is that system was kind of what made them plucky the last few years of Mike Leach, right? That Will Rogers running that system was, you know, uh, it was a good mind meld with, between him and Mike Leach. So I am concerned about switching up that system, but you look at the rushing numbers and that, that number is going to pop out at you. They're one of, you know, statistically in yards per game, they're one of the worst um, rushing offenses in the country, but the yards per attempt, they were pretty good, right? They, they can run the ball when they wanted to. We saw that against Texas A&M last year. We saw that in a couple other instances throughout the year, they can run the ball when they can. And if they're trying to be more balanced, I think that capability is there. Now you're absolutely right that they have to, you know, learn a whole new blocking scheme, learn all this new terminology. They are bringing back, you know, quite a bit of production, at least on offense. So there's guys there that have been there, not running the same scheme, obviously, but they are, you know, experienced playmakers, especially Will Rogers feels like he's been there for 10 years. So, you know, who knows? They are going to have to replace a ton of starters on defense. They lost a lot of production there. So, if that can gel as well, I think that you could be looking at a positive season. I haven't going six and six and making a bowl game. I actually have the entire SEC West bowl eligible, but um, Mississippi State six and six, you know, coming down the wire there, probably going to need a win in the Egg Bowl to clinch that uh, down the stretch. So we'll see. They're kind of the biggest we'll see. Them and Auburn, new coaches, just changing everything from the year before. I almost hesitate to even put the stats graphic up there because it's just going to be completely different, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And we're not going to know until we see that come out there week one, what that's really going to look like. They've got to get one at Arkansas or one at Auburn. That's a, that's a must split. And you, you probably have to win the egg bowl, like you said. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see. It's a new, new regime. Uh, Stark Vegas is always tough to play in. They're usually good for at least one upset a season. Um, but then again, that was, you know, under the Pirate, a completely different offensive scheme, and Zach Arnett able to focus on calling that 3-3-5 defense. So, uh, you know, a lot a lot to shake out uh, with Mississippi State. But that is our SEC preview for 2023, Trey. Just two of us. We're still going almost two hours. It's, these are marathons, man. And this is the final Power 5 that we've done. Well, uh, we've had the Maction preview um of course that you did with alex from the college sports pod we'll have uh, dan keegan on for a sunbelt preview coming up that should probably be the next episode so excited Um, about that one yeah really really excited about that we'll break down the american you know the the other group of five teams notre dame didn't forget about the irish exactly i was gonna say and of course we need to talk about notre dame as well so bizarre they're acc for every other sport except for football um, but we'll get to all of that in due time. Let us know who uh, who has their projections right, who you've got 
uh, going to the top of the conference, who your dark horse is, you can write us uh, on any social media platform at 3TechPod. Don't forget to check out Homefield and use our code 3TechPod for 15% off your first order. And uh, download the Transfer Portal CFB magazine as well. Time's running out to to get that, but a tremendous value for just $9.99. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks for hanging out with us. Until next time, so long, everybody. Yeah.